And what I always tell younger people that get into the industry, one of the things where if you're in retail, office, industrial, if you make leasing a big, not necessarily big, if you make it a portion of your uh, transactions, a portion of your business, you will always be able to have income coming in. Because for us, like I give the analogy of a, a somebody that's a trader, you don't really care if the market's up, you don't really care if the market's down, you want the market moving. And the idea of the there not being any velocity, that's kind of the death of your business. You want to see movement and you can work in that. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lotes, and today our guest is Jesse Fragali. Jesse is a commercial real estate broker who focuses on the office space. Today, we're digging into the status and the conditions of the office market today. There have been a lot of folks talking about the supposed crash of the office market, what's happening, all these vacancies everywhere, but is that really true? Well, today we dig in with Jesse, who is an office expert, learn about what's happening in his market and his perspective as a team member in a global commercial real estate brokerage. He has a lot of knowledge. We dig into, once again, the status of the office market today, the different types of asset classes within office, where there may be opportunity for investors. And we discuss also, can office really be converted into other uses? Can they really be converted into, say, apartment buildings? Is that feasible? And to what extent may or may not that be feasible? So we dig into that as well. There's a ton of knowledge in here. I think a lot of people are not talking about what's happening in office today, other than maybe some doom and gloom out there. So glad we have Jesse on the show today to shed some light on the status of the office market. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lotes. I'm a real estate investor. And I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Once again, our guest today is Jesse Fergali. We're digging into the office space and what may be around the corner. Let's go. Jesse, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to talk about the state of the office market. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners a bit about what you do and your background in real estate? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. That's a pleasure. Pleasure to be speaking with you today. My background in, I guess, in real estate in, you know, the Coles notes is I work in office leasing and sales in Toronto, I work with Avis and Young. We've grown quite a bit since I joined about nine, nine, 10 years ago now to, you know, having just over 80 offices globally, uh, majority of those being in the uh, U.S., my personal background with real estate is I got into real estate as an investor when I was at college. First couple of years was seeing, I actually lived with a few buddies of mine that I played football with. And one of my friends was renting out the place to us. And that kind of had the light bulb moment of seeing what that world would be like and how to get into real estate. And my first few investments were renting out to to students uh, in student housing. And yeah, then from there, I just fell in love with the idea of doing deals, investing, being able to have you know, money in theory working uh, while you're not. But I think as early landlords find out very quickly that uh, you are doing quite a bit of work. But yeah, they kind of evolved through that to actually going into the field on the commercial side as uh, as a broker. And I've been doing that, like I said, I think it's nine, 10 years now at the same, the same company. That's great. And you guys have a pretty 
broad reach, which is great for our conversation today, specifically digging into the office space. So I think the talk has been, especially with all the working from home and since interest rates started going up and everything, there's been a lot of talk about the supposed office crash. You know, our office is going away, our office buildings in downtowns completely vacant and what's happening to the owners. So how do you respond to that? I mean, do you see a crisis in office happening or is that all just kind of smoke? Yeah, it's a big question. I think I think to to back up on the conversation surrounding office, I think the the conventional wisdom or or maybe what somebody outside of our our world thinks is that you know, it's the office since lockdowns, since we're able to do Zoom calls, you know what we're doing today right now that this was something that was, you know, completely took us completely by sur- surprise. And I think if you're in in our industry and you didn't see that we were trending to this at some point, whether that was 10 years away, 20 years away, 30 years away, the idea of having five, six days a week in the office or working five, six days a week, I think you just wasn't something people in our industry, if you're really tuned in, thought that that's the way things would roll out. I think we thought that we would get to a point where whether it's three, four days a week in the office, a little bit more flexible when it came to workplace. So I think just establishing that as as a trend that was bound to happen, we definitely got, you know, it shoved into kind of fifth gear when everything happened over the last few years. And I think we've adapted fairly well. But what we've seen with companies that we work with is that there's a bit of a spectrum. I'm sure you've seen it, you know, in your personal life or even with friends in different industries. There are some industries where this is a, you know, working from home is fantastic uh, or having that flexibility. Uh, And then other industries where the idea of being fully remote is just not possible. So we saw a bit of reaction, sometimes overreaction and then correction. And the real question, which I don't think anybody knows the exact answer to is where is the dust, dust, excuse me, the dust going to settle once we're back to a, you know, quote unquote normal. And I personally think that we will move into an area that's probably more flexible. People are being more conscientious of of balance with their actual at home life and work. But I do think that there is more to the office than than just working. And I think part of you know a healthy work life balance is exactly that: having the ability to separate those two things. That you're not taking your work at home and you're not bringing your home into work. So. I do think that will that will shake out into some sort of compromise on that. Now, to, I mean, to your underlying question on real estate, what does that mean for valuations? What does that mean for real estate pricing? That's the you know TBD. That's the 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 question mark. And what I, my view is is that there's you always hear flight to to quality. I think that's definitely true. I think there's something to be said to a new term that's kind of going around flight to experience actually having offices or campuses that are experiences and that are amenitized properly. That's not just cubicles where you go and, you know, it's, it's boring and it's drab. So I really think that from what A and B real estate, A and B class office will probably remain to be, remain strong. The question is that lower B, C class real estate, some suburban real estate, what is going to happen with that? That's, I think, bit more of a question mark in terms of valuation and and the the outlook. So can we put some brackets around the A, B, and C class for office buildings? I think folks have a lot of exposure to that concept in terms of, say, multifamily A, B, C, and D class, and that 
we might have a little more of an established judgment there. But in the office space, how do you quantify or or place things within A, B, and C and think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing this for quite quite some time, and I don't think there's a there's a textbook definition. But the way I look at AAA office is you know, if you're in most major markets, you have lead gold certified, platinum, lead platinum. So you have basically an achievement on the office in terms of the amenities in the building. Delos Well is another one people can look up, D-E-L-O-S, another certification for buildings that are basically the cutting edge, the technology, the the ability to have, like I said, amenities in the space that are modern standard buildings and that the systems are con- continuously upgraded. B and C class, we're talking similar to multi-res. These are older buildings. They're not at the peak performance of A, AAA class buildings, but you know somewhere in between. And then C, C's just like B in terms of the the how old the vintage is, but then you're getting into some not as desirable areas. So you can still have suburban triple triple A class buildings, but I wouldn't put them at kind of the top tier of buildings. So to my point of, you know, B's and C's having that question mark, I think their geography will be uh, a component of that. Uh, depending on where those buildings are located, it's going to depend on whether those are going to be buildings that are candidates for redevelopment or potentially change of use if that's possible. So I'm glad you mentioned redevelopment or change of use. It seems like if we have all of this excess real estate real estate in the office space and maybe we could reuse it as apartment complexes or or something else then we might as well do that but what difficulties or impediments do you see in the way to developers getting in and redeveloping or changing the use of disused office properties yeah so the the biggest challenge and this is where a lot of people are like well why don't we just take these old office buildings and convert them to apartments and there's a host of, of challenges that, that that exercise has. So number one, or one of them being the amount of light and windows. The apartments are very different than offices in that respect. Plumbing mechanical becomes extremely challenging to be able to convert them. You have to have a very specific type of building. Like I said, with when it comes to light, the floor plates are much bigger and they're expansive and that creates a huge challenge. And I can send you a link maybe we you know if you want to put in the show notes and we did a white paper and this was I think it, this was in our Canadian office in Vancouver or Calgary so I don't think it spoke to American buildings but they did basically a coast to coast Canadian look at Canadian buildings and I think something like 40% of the offices would even be candidates even like even physically possible to be converted and a lot of people thought that was somewhat high so the reality is most of these it, in my opinion, most of these office buildings, if they're going to be converted, they would probably have to be demolished. They wouldn't be able to be a pure conversion of keeping the structure and, you know, having that change of use. It's not, you know, it's not like hotels and apartments where it's a little bit easier to kind of figure out that construction challenge. So for existing properties that are not going to be redeveloped, have you seen declining values at all? I mean, is there an opportunity potentially here to forgive me for saying this, but try to time the market. I don't necessarily believe in market timing, but are they down from peak? Is there you know, opportunity to, to time it well here? Yeah. And it's, it was just talking about this today with, uh, with another broker. It's funny because yes, I think the, the answer is 
in theory, this should be something where we see in the next year or two, where we start seeing these, these opportunities. What I've seen though, is in practice, the office, say the real estate investment trusts in, or pension funds that have put office properties on the market, like upper class AAA office properties, they've seen some of the bids that they've gotten and then they've taken them off the market. It's been somewhat similar to the, the bid ask spread with uh, multi-res right now. You have a seller that a year ago wants to sell, sees what the you know interest rates kept going up, he sees what type of bids they're getting and then you know just pulls it off. So the question from my point of view is going to be, you know, at what point is having to sell become become a focal a focal point? Because you know, if you have debt maturing, five maturing five year debt, ten year debt, then maybe we'll start seeing those write downs. You've seen a few of them in the states and in Canada. You've seen probably the headline news of these huge write downs, but I don't think that that's necessarily the trend right now. I think right now companies that own these assets, they know that if they sold them today, they would take a hit. And so they're trying to punt their loans and and kind of keep it in the portfolio. Yeah. This year, from my perspective as a multifamily investor in the States, I've seen the volume down considerably and folks generally aren't selling now unless they need to, which is a situation where, okay, we got to sell them. We can take, we have to take what we can get. For somebody that's in the position that they need to sell. I mean, are they coming to you in like a panic situation? What is it looking like when an office building owner needs to sell? If that happens, how quickly or, or how early on before they needed to sell, are they engaging a broker's services? I mean, I could speak for some of the listings that we have. Uh, we had individuals who purchased properties years ago. And in that case, you know, it's not a, it's not a, if it's a generational thing where you've You've had a property in the family for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, you're taking a, you know, whatever it is, a 10%, 20% hit, but you've made so much money over, over the long haul. The more challenging ones are the ones that we get that have purchased within the last five years, (laughs) potentially very, very good interest rates. And now that they say they have a building that is not in the greatest area or they have leases that coming due and they can't fill the the hole in terms of their vacancy those are the ones where it's challenging i mean and it, and it's just like you know it's not rocket science it's just like it, any asset if you're not able to fill that vacancy you don't have the income it's very different than apartment buildings in a sense because you know when we hear vacant possession of an apartment building usually that's an opportunity to increase the rents demand is always high it seems for for apartment buildings the rents are going up Whereas right now, if you have a vacant office building, not great. If you have a 15-year, 20-year lease with a a great covenant tenant, then that's a different story. Okay. In terms of the transaction volume question, in the US, I saw a figure recently that for multifamily, transaction volume is down 75% Mm. this year as compared to 2022. What does that look like in your experience in the office space? Is it kind of the same thing or volumes way down? And if so, what's it like to be a broker in that situation where the vol- transaction volume is so low? It's a good question. I don't have the exact figure. I would be surprised if it wasn't very close, if not higher than multi-res. But again, that type of question, it, it always depends on you know what year are we saying year over year? Are we saying you know four years ago versus today? The thing with our book of business is we do quite a bit of leasing. And what I always tell younger people that get into the industry, one of the things where if you're in retail, office, industrial, if you make leasing a big, not necessarily big, if you make it a 
portion of your uh, transactions, a portion of your business, you will always be able to have income coming in. Because for us, like I give the analogy of a, a somebody that's a trader, you don't really care if the market's up, you don't really care if the market's down, you want the market moving. And the idea of the there not being any velocity, that's kind of the death of your business. You want to see movement and you can work in that. And what I mean by that on the real estate side is that during COVID, during any lockdowns, there's opportunities. There's companies that are downsizing. There's companies that are subleasing. There's companies that are growing. So there, if you're good at your business and you continue to develop, you don't take your foot off the gas, you can continue to, to make money. Now, to, to the, your question, what does that look like for sales of commercial, specifically office? It's, it's going to be very challenging unless you have you know built up a long book of business. I mean, even if you have, you're your volume is down this year. It's, there's just no, there's no any way around that question. So it's challenging if a hundred percent of your business is on capital markets or on the sales side of office. I can't imagine it's, it's the most fun for those brokers right now. But the only thing I would say is industrial as an example has been extremely hot the last few years, 10, 15 years ago, at least in our market, it was kind of the inverse, right? The guys that were in office were, or even five years ago, were killing it. And, you know, maybe not exactly the same for industrial guys and gals like it is today. I think all that to say is we're in a cyclical business. I see, you know, the book you have there, uh, Am I Being Too su- Subtle? Sam Zell. I mean, that's the nature of our business. It, if you try to understand one thing about our industry, it's that you, there's going to be highs and lows. And yeah, the highs are never going to feel like you're at the top. And like you said about timing the market, the bottom's never going to feel like the bottom. That is true. So on the office leasing front, it sounds like perhaps office leasing could be a good proxy for the health of the economy, but maybe not if folks are getting new leases as they're downsizing. What's your perspective on that of office leasing as maybe a leading indicator of the health of the economy. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I, I think um, I, I would broaden that out to leasing in general. If you went to say you go to a, a New York firm uh, and you you get their head of retail leasing, head of office leasing and head of industrial leasing in one room, you probably would be able to get some sort of litmus test for how well the economy is doing because you know, you're dealing with those industries that if if you have companies that are generally comfortable signing five, 10 year leases, in, and that's the average of what you're seeing out there, it, at the very least, it's an indicator that there's optimism. I don't know if it's an indicator necessarily of health of the economy, but I mean, usually economists are looking at expected, you know, expected forecasts. So if, if what we see is that we're starting to see those longer term leases, and, and that's a good example. During the last few years, a lot of companies just wanted to do these one year extensions because there's so much uncertainty. We are slowly starting to see companies get back to what would be normal commercial leases, five and 10 year leases. You know, three years are now starting to be table stakes and five are, are being more normal. So I think, yeah, it's a, it probably is a, a sense, of, a good sense of what, what companies are thinking in, in the broader economy. Have you seen any particular trends in the actual leasing rates in terms of dollars per square foot or whatever metric you're looking at? Is that trending upward, trending downward, staying flat? Yeah. So over the last couple of years, a lot of people were like, well, I don't understand, you know, commercial real estate or specifically office, the, these, they say these buildings are worth 20, 30% less. 
but the net rental rates have not really changed or the, uh, the gross rents haven't changed. And a lot of what that was, was landlords, you know, throwing in everything in the, plus the kitchen sink in terms of inducements. You know, if I tell you, you know, here's a 20 net, $20 net lease or a $50 net lease, depending on what market you're in. But then I said, I'm going to give you a, a year of free rent. You know, that looks like the rental rate hasn't changed, but you've induced the deal quite heavily. So the net effective rent is much lower. So I think right now it, it's been fairly flat in certain, I can tell you in our market, in certain areas that were trendy areas two, three years ago that weren't necessarily close to transit are now hurting quite a bit. And some office product maybe wasn't so appealing, but it's it's close to transit, has amenities, we're starting to see uh, more upward pressure on pricing there. But I think as a general, probably flattening out over the last uh, over the last few months, at least that's what we've seen. So I know a few office investors, not very many, but they are out there. And I know some folks are interested in the office space, but have no idea where to go to learn more or how to get started. For someone who wants to learn more about office specifically, where would you point them? So if you're interested in actual courses or you know look, underwriting deals, CCIM is, is a good place to start. NAOP is probably one of the bigger organizations in North America that focuses on office and industrial products, properties. I think books like the one you know over your shoulder with Sam Zell, hearing his story in the office on the office side is, is fascinating. I really like Barry Sternlich with, I think it was formerly at Starwood. I think that's, you know, that's more so if you're interested in podcasts or some, you know, YouTube videos in that medium. We had on the podcast, Peter Lineman, who wrote basically the textbook for real estate and finance, the, the big blue book. So you can check him out. I think that book in general is a great book if you're interested in commercial real estate, which also kind of zeroes in on office as part of, you know, part of the book. Cool. Great. Okay. Yeah. I think when things trend downward, I always try to look for opportunity. And the opportunity might not arise yet, but I think especially in smaller B and C class office, I've personally seen folks that I knew know do some very interesting off-market deals in the office space and find great value opportunities. They're hard to find, but I believe that they're out there and we can only find them if we believe in them in the first place. But anyway, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Jesse, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? So the one I, I recommend all the time, and I'm not going to recommend it today because I see it's actually over your shoulder as well, which is hilarious because we also had Frank Gallinelli on the podcast, you know, what every nice. real estate investor should know about cash flow or something to that effect. I read one recently that I, I really liked and forgive me if I can't remember the author's name, but it's called The Motivation Myth. I thought it was pretty, f I thought it was just fascinating and just kind of the upshot of it, it is this idea of, you know, we're constantly looking for motivation to do things. But what we find is that motivation comes from the actual activity of actually getting up and doing that thing. So the question of how do we start that and how do we get into that cycle kind of is the premise of the book. So I won't give it away, but the motivation myth, the one I really enjoyed recently. I love that. So we had your number one book recommendation. Now we move on to number two. What or who inspires you? I think an easy layup on that is my grandfather, you know, both sides of my family immigrated. They're entrepreneurs that came over to this country with, you know, virtually nothing and, you know, built built what they did and, and what they what they built for their kids and gave us the opportunity. So I think it's something that 
in any entrepreneurial activities that we take in our life. I'm talking of our generation and our family. Anytime we're we're complaining, I think we should, you know, kind of remember as hard as it is that this opportunity was was something that was a hard fought. I 100% agree with that. Both of my grandfathers worked in the same steel mill. So what right do I have to complain about what I do for a living? No, no right at all. Question number three, my favorite one here. Think about Jesse at 80 years old. What advice or feedback does he have to give you of today? So the advice or feedback, listen, yeah, that's an easy one. Two years, one mouth. Nice. Enough said. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us today. Where can people learn more about you? Yeah, sure. You can, I mean, you can go to Jesse Frigale, F-R-A-G-A-L-E, just Google that. You you know, I'm a broker, so it shouldn't be hard to find me. If you're interested in real estate investing and conversations we have with people adjacent to real estate, you can check out Working Capital, the real estate podcast, wherever you get podcasts. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so very much, you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.